The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Back on Air, the podcast all about living life after second chances, starting over, and the process that that entails. And let me tell you, it's not easy. It's not always easy. Starting over, it is a welcome gift, but not an easy one. So before we get into this episode and we talk all about recovering, While in recovery, let's get into a little cancellation coverage, shall we? So it is officially official, kind of. The CDC lifts the mask mandate across the board. Now, we are getting some confusion with this mask mandate policies and procedures. Of course, it's being spoofed everywhere. It's made its way to the SNL stage. So if you know it's getting that mainstream, people are confused by it. It seems pretty simple to me, though. If you're vaxxed, you don't have to wear a mask anywhere. And if you're not vaccinated, you still have to. The scary part is that we are using the honor system. That's right. We are using the honor system in America, the land of mass shootings and corporate fraud on a daily basis. The honor system. Oh, my God. And now, of course, this is a free country and businesses are catering to their customers, obviously. And they're choosing to stay with masks to make customers feel comfortable. You have Target and Starbucks. They're going to remain with mask policies, which I'm very thankful for because I love to shuffle around Target. And I am not ready to reveal the bottom half of my face in public yet. I don't want to breathe the same air as people. I, I'm just not ready for it. I love the meme that I saw. Like, could we, could we have gotten a countdown before this grand reveal that no more masks after being vaxxed? I mean, oh God, it's just, it's just a lot. And then you have companies like Walmart, which... God love them. They stay true to their brand and they have immediately dropped any mask requirements across the board. And I don't know what the ratio in middle America is to people who've gotten the vaccine shopping at Walmart, but any department store that also sells guns and bullets, I am questioning their policy effectiveness. But I will say it does feel good to know that we are stepping in the right direction with this mask mandate and removing it and that masks are essentially canceled if you're vaccinated. I'm thrilled to be vaccinated. I'm nervous about this news, but, uh, you know, I think we're all dipping our toes in with our comfortable level. And you have to remember, there are people who are living in different parts of the the world. You know, if you're in small town America and people don't travel a lot there, I'm sure that the pandemic felt a lot different for you than it did here in Los Angeles, where at one point we were the epicenter for America's outbreak for the second wave. It was so bad here. So, you know, we'll take all of that into consideration. But for now, masks are canceled by the CDC. For me personally, I will still be wearing them as I pick out my candles at Target. So there we have it. Now, what else do we have going on? The Golden Globes have been officially canceled. Okay, not just like 
oh, they're canceled. Like we've canceled them online. No, like NBC is not airing them next year after this whole debacle, which we touched on at the beginning of the you know run of this show, which was the award show season drama of just the lack of inclusion and, you know, different efforts being made to become more inclusionary and understanding what people are listening to when it comes to music, what they're watching to when it comes to television and movies. And the Golden Globes revealed shockingly that of their small 90-person Hollywood Foreign Press Association, not a single member was black. And they promised to course correct, but it was all a little too much too late, or whatever that saying is. And the award show happened, and the celebs were ribbing on the Golden Globes for not being inclusionary whatsoever. And shortly after, the publicists band together and said, we will not be giving you access to our high-profile clients and our high-profile brands, and we're not being a part of it, which ultimately led NBC to having to pull the plug on the telecast. So this is when accountability and cancel culture actually does something worthwhile And by worthwhile, I mean, of course, this is still a frivolous award show. You know, let's see a difference with cops who are killing people. But we'll focus on this right now because that's what's happened. (laughs) So the outcry made a difference and it's now been literally canceled for at least a year while they reconfigure and figure out how they can make it more inclusionary and make it a fair representation of everyone who's involved in the entertainment industry. So I do have to applaud Hollywood for kind of yelling within itself, not just pointing its fingers at everyone else. It pointed its fingers directly back at itself and said, no, here's a problem and we're not going to stand for it anymore. So you have to applaud that if nothing else, for going within the belly of your own beast and fighting within Because that's really where change happens is from within. So for them to make that kind of difference, I'm happy about it. In, in a way, I'm happy about it. Is it nearly enough? No. Is it too little too late? Maybe. But they're doing something. And it's the same thing when Oscars were so white. They made a change. And it did make a bit of a difference. I will say it's interesting to note we're canceling establishments and things that have been in play for years here, not people. Because I still don't believe that you can cancel a person because a person will still exist after they've, quote, been canceled. But this TV show, for instance, this award show, is canceled and it will not air next year. And for that, I'm thrilled that cancel culture and more council culture and accountability can have a positive impact here within the Hollywood landscape. You know, as a makeup artist, we love to see it. And of course, speaking about canceling individuals, once again, this is not cancel culture either. This is again, accountability culture, but we've got Bravo in a confusing place with the Real Housewives of Dallas as we have Dr. Tiffany Moon being racially attacked by Cameron Westcott and her husband. And I want to say her husband's brother. And is, is his name really Shart? I saw that on Bravo Wild Black Instagram. I'm assuming it's a nickname, but I don't know how they came to the conclusion his name is Sharp, but that is hilarious. And I can only imagine what inspired that nickname. I mean, he sounds like a real piece of shit. But anyways, I'm, I'm getting so off the point. The point is they're saying these horrible, horribly racist things. And now I have to be honest with you. I'm not keeping up with this Bravo uh, Real Housewives of Dallas stuff. I watch the shows that I like. New York, Beverly Hills, few others scattered here and there. And I mind my own business. So I, I, I've just seen this on the blog post and all the, the people that I follow. 
And, you know, I have a direct connection with working with Bravo and I've seen directly and I am not going to speak for anyone that I know, but I will speak from my experience as a second party who witnessed a lot of things that Bravo did over the past year. And there are some inconsistencies with how they're handling their talent and you know, I'm recording this a couple days before before it airs, so who knows what's going to happen. But as of now, no action has been taken against the Dallas Barbie Cameron Westcott or her husband or anything with these atrocious tweets saying that anti-racism is a form of racism. What the fuck? And I know I am partial to my friends and I will defend them because I can see a side to them that people don't get to see. And again, I'm not going to speak to their change or to the repercussions they faced or anything that happened. That is their story to, sh- to tell, you know, and Kristen came on and talked a bit about her experience, but more about moving forward because we all have the future. We just have the present and the future. We can't live in the past, but it's interesting to note that Bravo is not as quick to drop the ax as they are with this talent Later on, now in later 2020 with Kelly Dodd and now in 2021 with the Westcots, we're not seeing the the axe being dropped like it was last year. And it leads me to question the, once again, accountability. Is it more important to see someone be held accountable and learn a lesson? Or do we just chop the chop the axe and say, you're fired? In this case, with Cameron Westcott and her family and these very vile direct tweets, she should be let go from the show, just like Kelly Dodd should be let go from Orange County. They should be reprimanded directly and promptly and abruptly because they're doing actively harmful things. This is where cancel culture gets so confusing because when you start digging up things from the past and mistakes people made from the past, like Candace Owens is doing with Chrissy Teigen right now, it's a whole nother world. And I know people don't like that as an excuse saying, oh, well, times were different back then. Things were different because that does not excuse a lot of what happened. And in fact, that's why a lot of racist things are at play and sexist, misogynistic things are at play because we just that's how things used to be. So that's not an excuse for a lot of things. But sometimes it is an excuse. The amount of shit I posted on my Facebook when I was young and dumb, just stupid stuff. Now, luckily for me, it's just embarrassing things talking about drug use. Why would I be posting about drug use on a on a public social platform knowing well, not knowing full well that in 10 years I would be the public has access to any of this stuff. Anyone has access to any of this stuff. Oh my gosh, it's just insane to me what we pick and choose to cancel and who we pick and choose to cancel. And I just think Bravo is doing an interesting job of what they're deciding to put up with and what they're deciding to absolutely not put up with immediately. And I thought while that statement's obviously siding with Tiffany Moon was necessary, the fact that no other actions have yet been taken against Cameron. And again, we're recording this in advance. That's shocking to me. And this is direct racist tweets happening in the moment. Not something from the past, not a confusing, weird story that's possibly a storyline in the show and possibly, you know, this confusing, weird thing. And and you have this personal connection to people. It's this is just racist tweets being sent out there into the universe and repercussions not being had. So what the fuck are we doing with cancel culture then? You know, like what's going on with it? So God, 
I question Bravo's integrity at times with their casting choices. I mean, I am thrilled to see the diversity in action. I'm loving, you know, Ebony on New York and to see the diversity is great, but sometimes actions speak louder than words and casting is an action, but so is firing cast members who are being actively racist in the present moment. In 2021, they're being racist. That's wild, y'all. Figure it out, cancel culture. And I'm not even pro-cancel culture, but I am anti-racist, so like, do something about it. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know, that kind of made me in a bad mood, but we'll get into this episode anyways, so uh, much to stay tuned about. All right, you all. I am just going to be upfront and say things have been tough a year and some change after my transplant. And I was hesitant to talk about it. You know, I had a, a pre-taped with a guest and I thought about just having that and kind of ignoring this. And I talked it over with my parents and some of my friends. And I realized that, you know, I, I love being called a positive person and I love to be open and uplifting with my journey of obviously having had leukemia and a transplant doing this all in the insane year that is 2020. But after talking it over with my mom, she reminded us that we were looking for people who've been through the same situation that I was going through back when I got diagnosed with leukemia. And when I found out I was getting a bone marrow transplant, which, you know, sounds like a made up James Bond thing. So we were confused and lost and looking for for people who have been through it and can show that there are ups and downs, but you can get through it. So essentially, as cheesy as it is, my mom convinced me that, you know, share a little bit of what's going on because it's authentic, it's real, and it is the truth of recovery. And really, it doesn't matter what you're recovering from. And I know I say this all the time because a second chance or a fresh start can apply to so many different things, whether you've just moved, gotten out of a relationship, or in my case, you know, had to beat cancer, get a transplant and do it all in a pandemic, no matter the circumstance, healing and getting over things isn't just going to be like a snap of the fingers and then you're better. And I'm going to be cheesy. And if it helps one person to hear that I'm going through a low point now, but it's not the end of the world and it doesn't mean I'm going to die. And it means you're not going to die and you might get through it too. You know, then I'm going to talk about it. And there's no one here to stop me. I'm recording with my dogs, my little chihuahua on my lap and my little pug down by my feet, cuddled up in my blanket. So no one's stopping me. So I'm just going to go for it. And that is the truth. It has been a really hard time since my biopsy results, which seems a bit ass backwards because you're thinking your biopsy results were you're in remission. You found out you're 100% a match with your donor, which means there's no rejection of my transplant, which is one of the worst case scenarios after having a transplant is obviously rejecting it. There's no evidence of that happening. And everything is coming up roses. I am going to be seeing the doctor less. I do have to do this traumatic bloodletting process, you know, because I've received so many blood transfusions over the past uh, year and a half, two years that I have a high buildup of iron. And to get rid of it, they literally just, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. They just drain some blood just like they did in the medieval times. Anyway, so besides that semi-traumatic process of having to get an IV where they literally remove a bag of blood from me, 
I'm kind of done with the doctors, except once every three months, my biopsies, which are so traumatizing. We're talking a needle being drilled within your bone. Sorry, I should have said plug your ears before that. All of this traumatizing stuff is starting to let up. And with that, I was expecting this alleviation, this joy, this instantaneous feeling that I am better. And yes, I'm in remission, but I'm not better. And when I started to feel it physically at first, it sent me into a tailspin. Because when you feel the physical effects of something that brings back such a trigger to a trauma, it's unlike anything that I've ever experienced. And it was really scary. And what was happening, it turned out, was something called grafts versus host disease. And I really can't explain what that means, the wor- why they chose those words. But it means... It's a it's a flare up that happens and it's when you get a transplant and your body it kind of goes to war with the new cells of the transplant and this disease happens and part of it is normal and you want a little bit of it to happen because it causes the friction so the new strong you know cells take over or whatever so it's normal the downside of getting a transplant is this disease can pop up, it can live systemically, you know, rooted in your system and and can live there and pop up and flare up whenever. And for some people, it's chronic, and they'll be, you know, on versions of medicine for it their entire life after transplant. For some people, it's a one off thing. And for me, it was a one off thing. It happened last year, right after my transplant, which is very common within the first three months, I had to be hospitalized. You know, it was it was scary, but it was expected. I was not expecting it to happen again just a few weeks ago after my wonderful biopsy results. And when I did start to get the symptoms, the symptoms are so broad and so all encompassing that they weren't what I was used to when it happened a year ago. These were symptoms that were reminiscent of my leukemia. So I'm starting to feel the same type of sick I felt when I had leukemia and was wondering if I was going to live or die. Now that trigger, I cannot explain to you. It's inexplicable when you wake up with the same headache and stomach ache that you now know to be leukemia side effects. And you wake up with that two years later and you think, holy shit, is it happening again? And the place you go immediately Well, for me, I got to stop talking for other people. I just have to speak for myself. And if you can relate, you can relate. And if not, you know, you can fast forward. But for me, what happens is I think, oh my God, how hard was that chemo treatment? How hard are those biopsies? How hard was that nausea on a daily basis? How hard was it to try to walk even just a few feet in my hospital room? I can't do this again. I'm not strong enough to do this again. I don't have the willpower to do this again. I'd rather die than have to do this again. And now I'm waking up with symptoms that are making me think that I possibly am going to have to do this all over again. There's no way I'm going to die. I will die from this. I won't be able to survive another, another go at this cancer thing. I can't do it. And that's what I was thinking. That's all I was thinking with this, this pain that was coming on. So of course we called my doctor and I have such a, you know, fabulous team of doctors who reply to emails and phone calls, even on the weekends. And the typical course of action for this kind of thing is steroids. So I was put on steroids and within 24 hours they started to work. And 
what a relief that was because the symptoms started to alleviate. And I was able to eat again, which, you know, I had lost 30 to 40 pounds when I was initially not even diagnosed before I was diagnosed. So I I was just starting to get worried about all of these things. And I get these steroids and I'm back in action. Now, the thing about steroids, though, they mess with you mentally because they amp you up. They make you hungry. They make you an emotional wreck. And I'm still dealing with the repercussions of the mental health aspect of this. I'm in between therapists right now as I speak. And I'm still processing the breakup that I went through during my cancer. I have yet to have a full full time to process it. And I'll mention it and I say I'm over it. And I do believe that I'm over it. But that doesn't mean I've processed it. It's not something I think about every day like it used to be. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to handling the mental health side of this trauma that I went through. I don't know. It's hard to share. It's hard to be so vulnerable, especially knowing that this is... I mean, I could stop it from going out, obviously, but, you know, being this vulnerable and showing that a year and a half later, I'm not just this warrior, this fighter, this person full of positive energy. I'm somebody who's still in the throes of it. And it shook me to my fucking core when I realized when I I got on those steroids and then I immediately had to go to the doctor. You know, they put me on the steroids over the weekend, so I would just start eating again and the symptoms would alleviate. And then I went to the doctor that Monday. And they said, you know, it's it's the grafts versus host disease. This is all part of it. We have to monitor it. And you'll be on these steroids now for an extended period of time. We'll come back to the doctor in a month. And just like that, my, you know, three months of freedom and all of that was taken away. And I was back. I'm going back now once a month. I'm being monitored. They're checking my levels with the steroids and they're checking all, you know, they need to do blood tests to make sure everything's staying on track. And so just when I think I'm finally hitting my stride, I have this setback and here I am all over again. And to top it off, it's confusing because it comes and goes. It's so much easier to just be a sick person because there's no nuance to being sick. When you're sick, people feel bad for you. They know you're ill and they're there for you however they can be for a sick person. And it's limited because there's only so much you're able to do. I'm now in this weird phase of taking medicines that make me sick, having this systemic flare up that makes me sick, but not always. And if I can time it right with the right you know, combination of a a pain medicine and an anti-nausea medicine and a steroid and maybe a a shot of my um, anti-inflammatory stuff, then I can be good for a few days. And if I time it wrong and, you know, I stay up too late and I don't get enough sleep, I can wake up and be sick for the full day, no matter what I do to alleviate the pain that I'm feeling. And that's something that I'm not used to. I did not know at 31, I was going to transform my entire life into that of a person who now has not just aches and pains, but these, you know, my entire left leg goes numb now. And that's a side effect of chemo. And, you know, I'm completely sterile if I I, I don't have the option to have biological children. And that's a side effect of the radiation. The list just feels like it never fucking ends. And again, I hear myself and I'm not, I don't want to complain. I don't want to be this person who's sitting here complaining about my second chance at life. I got a bone marrow transplant. And the fact of the matter is minorities are up to 50% less likely to get, even get a bone marrow transplant. And let me tell you, without a bone marrow transplant, 
I would not have survived or beaten cancer. That's what cured me. And I'm aware of that privilege. And just a few weeks ago, we started to talk about survivor's guilt. And I don't know survivor's guilt on a personal level like that because I haven't befriended people with cancer because I'm so new to the community who've died from cancer, from the same type of cancer. And I've lived, I haven't experienced that kind of just difficult trauma. I haven't experienced that. So I don't have the survivor's guilt because I'm still so focused on my survival, but I, I'm starting to get this awareness of how privileged my experience has been, even with the insanity that was my insurance fiasco. You know, I still have a half a million dollars in debt that I'm trying to get forgiven or at least get ran through my insurance for just one month of my eight months of stays. And this is all pre-transplant. There's just so much when it comes to recovery, it really feels like it's never gonna end. And then someone commented on something that I shared. I think I shared something about, you know, this flare up that I was having. And the reason I share also, it's more self-serving than to help others. It's because I have an army of people who are my support system, even digitally, who I've never met in person, who I only know online, who when I post that something's happening to me, they are quick to send me a DM and say, this happened to me too. Don't worry. This happened to my husband. This happened to my friend. They experienced this. This is totally normal. The GVHD, the grass versus host disease that you're experiencing is a totally normal flare up. Do not panic. You know, are you on the steroids yet? They're sliding into my DMs and making me feel comforted, connected, and calm. So I share obviously, because I want other people to be able to connect and and to help people, of course, but I share for my own personal reasons too, and my personal benefit, because that's my platform to gain knowledge and to gain comfort from others. And, you know, when I posted something, someone said healing is not linear. And again, it's another cliche, but it is just so fucking true. And here I am, the perfect example thinking that, okay, I had my transplant in March of 2020. They say it's going to take about a hundred days, AKA three months to heal properly. So I did all of that healing. I did go back in the hospital during that time. They said it was going to be rough. Everything was exactly by the books. Then I finished that hundred days and then I started to slowly work a little bit again. I was able to do things, date a little bit here and there. And then We reach my one year celebration. We go through the traumas of remission. And now here I am over a year later and it's not better. It didn't just go uh, in this straight shooting fashion. Now I've shot off to the right and I'm having this hiccup and I don't know what to do. I mean, I know what to do. Finally find a therapist, talk about it, talk it through, stay on my course with my medication. I know what to do but the mental anguish that it can cause that recovering causes is no joke. And it can feel lonely and it fucks with your head. And I remember, I don't know why I remember this. I think because when I don't feel well, I've spend more time, you know, in my bed or on the couch and therefore more time on my phone and watching television and things like that. And I was just scrolling through, just looking at, at pictures and videos. And I found a video of me 
bald as can be, but beautiful makeup, I might add. Uh, it was before my transplant when my hands were all shaky. And I was bald as can be, and I was doing my photo shoot for my lash collaboration with Lashaholic Lashes. And my dear friend, Angela Peterman, who's an amazing photographer, by the way, these are both women-owned companies, Lashaholic Lashes and Angela Peterman Photography. So shout out to them. If you are looking to support a female-owned small business, there's some chances for you to do so. Anyways, I found this footage of me probably two to three months after my initial induction, very hard chemo, where I was going to do my lash collaboration. And Lashaholics was so sweet. They are donating the lash money was being donated to my medical bills. Because again, at the time I was dealing with that half a million debt, which I am still dealing with. So they offered to just do it truly as a gift. The true definition of charity is why they decided to do it. They don't even get like a 501c3 tax write-off. Like they just did it to help me out. We had been following each other and it's so sweet of the company. And then of course they were like, we need a a photographer to take the shots. And then Angela, of course, stepped in and I saw the footage and it was shocking to me because I've seen the the images and they're, you know, I love the images. They're, they're powerful and they kind of, they show this, um, side of me that I'm bald, but I'm, I still got it. I'm still fierce. I'm this warrior. I'm this bald headed warrior. And then I saw the footage and I remembered I was sitting there on a chair against my white wall in my apartment in Koreatown. And I mean, I could barely stand. I was, I was barely able to hold a smile for these photos. And I don't know, seeing that video, it just reminded me of how far I've come. You know, physically, I was I was so much thinner then. And I was, I mean, I looked good because of the makeup, but I knew underneath that makeup, I was hollowed out and, and sallow and so yellowy skin and just sickly. And I could see it in my face. And then I realized for a brief moment, at least I don't feel that bad. And then I realized... Healing isn't linear, but it is steps forward, even when there are steps back. You know what I mean? Because now I can do a photo shoot. I can record a podcast. I mean, later today, I'm recording this. And then later today, I'm recording something very special uh, with Facebook Watch and Pride. And I'm so excited about that because I'm able to do all of these things in one day. And it's not linear. And tomorrow might be one of those days where I have to wake up, take a medicine and go back to bed. And today is going to be one of those days where I record a podcast. I do an interview. I put makeup on. I record a bunch of promo stuff and I get shit done. And none of it's linear. None of it's guaranteed. I constantly, even in the span of recording this, I'm feeling more uplifted. I'm feeling like, okay, now I'm starting to feel like I can do this again. And that's how it is. And it's just, that's how it is with mental health. That's how it is with recovering from anything. And, you know, I'm living at home with my parents, which always plays like a weird factor in it because I am trying to date a little bit and I am trying to feel normal. And, you know, it's different because I didn't move back into like my childhood home. We found a place together to live, you know, so I could recover And we have a lovely spot and it's a beautiful apartment and plenty of space for all of us. But it is still just wild to be living with your parents. And it was becoming really hard because I was so independent. I didn't need them like I needed them just a few short months ago. And now I need them again. So it's like, wow, I'm glad I didn't rush to go get my own apartment 
very quickly after this because I wanted to feel so independent and rent was so cheap because of the pandemic and all of this stuff. No, I needed my parents. I still need them now because I'm not feeling so great. And the medicines that I take are once again, making me forgetful. So I need them. So I'm happy to still be here with them. And was it part of my plan journey to still be living with my parents at 33 years old? No, but here I am. And you know, these are the things that I think about, and these are the little parts. So not only when you're dealing with this kind of recovery of anything, you have to deal with the big picture. So if you're moving, you're dealing with buying your new house or finding an apartment to live and picking the right neighborhood. But then you're also dealing with the little things. Where am I going to park my car? Where am I going to find my favorite coffee in the morning? You know, what's my shortest route? Those little, little things that happen when you are starting over. Those matter too. And oh, good God, there's just so much of that. And I'm, I'm fighting that now with my career as I go back into makeup artistry or decide if I'm able to go back into makeup artistry. Because every time I start one of these new medications, one of the first side effects tends to be a shakiness with my hands. And luckily, I'm able to, you know, really take the time and do my own glam on myself. And you'll notice a lot of times my glam does not involve a cat eye. And if it does, it's a very thick one. <laughs> and that's because my hands are not as precise as they were. And that's another thing that I have to come to terms with about my recovery. And it's a question of, will my hands ever not be shaky? Because if I continue to have these flare ups, that would affect my work on a regular basis. And that's something I can't commit to a job, you know, with my dream client, Britney Spears, if my hands are too shaky to do the basic tasks that I'm hired to do. So, you know, there's a lot to recovery that I'm thinking about beyond, okay, I've got to live. I can't, I've got to fight these side effects. I, I can't let cancer come back. I also have to figure out how I'm going to make money and survive, not live with my parents, go back to work. But I know it's all possible. And like I said, I am getting more uplifted and I am, I am talking to myself into a positive mindset, which really goes to show, by the way, you know, I am fiercely fucking anti-toxic positivity. I hate that shit. Anti-toxic positivity. But there are a few things that I did in the hospital and I still do when I get sick. And that's like mantra and self-talk. And that stuff is real to a degree. Now, I know if you're facing tragedy like trauma, Okay, I get it. When you're sitting in a hospital room and you're given a 70-30% life or death, you can't just mantra your way out of it. You can't positive self-talk your way out of having cancer. I get it. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a power in a little bit of, okay, I can get through at least today. And that is what it comes down to. I think I've said this. I might have said this every single episode. If not, if I haven't said it every episode, I've thought it every episode. When people say how they get through things, it's always one foot in front of the other. It's always live in the moment. It's always live in the present because the present is a gift. Okay. But it really truly is. This is my third cliche for this episode. Holy shit. And yet it's another cliche. The present is a gift and we can only live in the present. You can't obsess in the past because there's nothing else we can do in the past. And you really can't worry about the future because that's just anxiety. Now you have to plan some of the future. Like I was saying, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with a career. If my hands don't go back to normal, if I'm not able to do makeup, I mean, trust me, I have workarounds for anything. I will figure things out. But stuff you have to think about that you don't always want to think about while recovering. 
I would love to just focus on my symptoms that I'm having based off of the transplant that I got well over a year ago. But that's not how recovery works. You don't get to nitpick exactly what part you want to recover and focus on and heal on. You have to deal with it all. And sometimes it dumps it all at the same time. And that's what I dealt with when I found out that I was in remission. I got dumped on at the same time. I got this uh, GVHD, this disease that's flaring up. And I was dealing with the mental health side effects. And I was dealing with a flare up of depression, which I'm still battling through. And I am proudly on antidepressants to, you know, help with it. And I realized there's a lot of repressed trauma from that time frame that I am now going to start unpacking. And I will not be unpacking it all on this podcast. Believe you me, that is not what I want to do. I did want to get a little bit more vulnerable and share exactly what's going on because the myth of success and perfection on social media is so wild. And even I'm guilty of it. And I'm a fucking cancer patient. And I'm guilty of like faking a fabulous lifestyle. And I don't want to do that. I want to be be honest and say it's tough and I'm still going through a tough, tough time. And it's confusing because I can get a shot and go to Palm Springs for three days and feel decent enough to swim and to hang out and then come home and need to take three days to absolutely recover and recoup because it was so strenuous. That trip was so strenuous. Driving two hours and floating around in a pool for 48 hours was strenuous on my body. That's not something I'm used to. And that's not something that, you know, a young person is used to. And it's all part of reimagining this new normal after a second chance. And again, no matter what you're starting over with, you have to reimagine your new normal, whether it's your new environment, your new relationship. In this case, just dealing with new symptoms from an old disease that I just can't seem to shake. It's all about reimagining the new normal. But I tell you what, I'm done wondering what the secret is because there is no secret. There's no secret to the success of wellness or of to being like a person who's better. I compare myself to other cancer patients who are running marathons, who've had AML just like me, and there is no comparison. So don't compare yourself to me if you are also going through, you know, a very similar circumstance with a bone marrow transplant or leukemia or a blood cancer. This does not mean this is going to happen to you. But if it does, just know that it is not the end of the world. As my favorite pop queen who I listen to when I'm feeling very blue, Katy Perry says, this is not the end. No, not the end of the world. And with that, I feel as though I've rambled on quite enough. I hope this had any bit of cohesion, uh, coherence, anything. And if it didn't, you can just fast forward and I will see you next week with my fabulous guest. Until then, have a beautiful day and we will talk soon. Back on Air is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. The theme music is by Josie Mark. Thanks for listening. And please follow me on Instagram at Jared Lips, on Twitter at Jared M. Lips, and email the show backonairjared at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you stream podcasts, and I'll see you next week. Thanks.